Uh, hi, this is uh, not really George Lucas, but uh, I just want to encourage you to, if you're listening to podcasts, uh, why not listen to The Rebel and the Rogue? Uh, you might as well. If you want some great swag from the Inglorious Trexperts podcast, including a lot of fun t-shirts and all that sort of stuff, visit us at ingloriousTrexperts.com. You can find all that stuff, and you can listen to the podcast while you're there. Hi, this is uh, not Sean Connery, because uh, if it were, I would be extremely old. Uh, but uh, if you'd like to listen to podcasts about your favorite movies that you have never seen yet, uh, join us for the 4.30 movie, and perhaps we'll have another Bond week. Electric Now? What does that mean? It means that you can watch us do these wonderful podcasts and so many other things, too. Hey, uh, Darren. Yes. When I was a kid... I used to love The Electric Company. You know why? Because I knew one day Morgan Freeman would be a great actor. But <laughs> if there's one thing I love about electricity that's even better than Schoolhouse Rock and The Electric Company, it's the Electric Now channel. But also, they're turning it on and bringing the power. Yes, they are. <laughs> and we're turning you on. And No, no, no. no, no that's a highly inappropriate. Okay, well, we are turning on the power here at Electric Surge. We're... You may have, for the last year or so, been enjoying these amazing audio podcasts like Inglorious Trexperts, The 430 Movie, Best Movies Never Made. Now you, you can watch You them. ain't seen nothing yet, no, but you now you can. Anything. You can <laughs> on Electric Now, available on Stir TV and Distro TV, which you can download from your favorite app store, and soon coming to the Electric Now app. Get to see us. As you've never seen us before, <laughs> because you've only seen us in the theater of the imagination. Now we're going to be on your tablet, on your telephone, on your TV, and in your house. With <laughs> the call is coming from inside the house. So make sure to check out Electric Now, streaming now on Stir TV and Distro TV, and coming soon to the Electric Now app. And welcome back to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me, as always, is Mr. Steven Scarlada. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? I can't complain. That is good. Uh, <laughs> I am pretty excited about our topic today, uh, the very uh, innocently and innocuously named Star Wars sequel written by Miss Lee Brackett. Uh, and I can't really think of two better guests to have today than our two lovely guests, Mr. Kyle Newman and Bonnie Burton. Hey. Um, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about what they'd know you from oh. and, and in your relationship to Star Wars, which you both have. Do you, you want me to go first? Yeah, you want, oh. you go first. Uh, my name's Bonnie Burton, and uh, I worked for Lucasfilm for about 10 years uh, on the online side, so not IT, which everyone thought our online department was. <laughs> uh, no, for StarWars.com. So I was the senior editor on the blog. Uh, I was started as a community manager, if you can remember olden times when it was wow. just message boards. Um, so it was around 2002, I think I started, like heavy, thick into the prequels. Um, and yeah, so I worked at Lucasfilm for a long time. And then I also write Star Wars books. So I've written the Star Wars craft book. Uh, you can draw Which Star we have Wars. A copy of I know these are all called these are all called Star Wars Legends books. books. 
I have a lot of books, books. but they're all out of print. (laughs) Uh, Because once Disney bought Lucasfilm, it was like, now they're considered Star Wars legends, I guess. So unless, I think one of them is reprinted. I think the Clone Wars Easy Reader or something. But you can look me up on Amazon and see the Star Wars stuff I've done. But um, yeah, so that's, I'm trying to think of anything else that's, I'm in Dave Filoni's Wolf Pack. Does that count? That counts. (laughs) Yeah. That's a big one. Okay. That's about it. I mean, Kyle's got a... We met. Cooler. I met you at Skywalker Ranch. Yeah, I was the liaison for uh, Fanboys, which uh, <laughs> Kyle's the director on. When they were at Skywalker Ranch, I was supposed to keep them from wandering into George's office, which I don't think <laughs> I did. I think I just let them do whatever they wanted because I was so enamored with uh, what they were doing because Fanboys was such a fun movie. And then I think you had me be an unofficial stand-in for Kristen Bell. Because yeah. her character in Fanboys, I dressed like that normally, and I had dark <laughs> hair, and so I kind of looked like a stand. Like I looked like Kristen Bell from like 50 miles away. <laughs> so they're like, "Yeah, just go ahead and sit in the van." That was a fun experience. But that yeah, that's awesome. how that's how I met you was at Skywalker Ranch. Yeah, on like a Saturday. And we stayed in touch ever since. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. So Kyle's, a, Kyle's a good friend. I I got to th- thankfully shoot up at Skywalker Ranch and. Got to meet Bonnie and a lot of other wonderful people up at Lucasfilm who ingratiated us and like we were part of their family. No one else had been able to shoot up there um, as like an outside production, maybe like uh, you know an architectural thing or something. But no one was shot like a movie up there other than Georgia mm-hmm. stuff. So they were very cool to let us uh, spend a, an evening there uh, shooting the ranch so we could authenticate the end of the movie. So yeah, I directed uh, Fanboys. I am a lifelong Star Wars fan. I also wrote and directed uh, several of the. Uh, live audio drama stage plays. We did them at uh, Celebration 5, 6, and 7 domestically. And they're really fun Han Solo-inspired stories in the spirit of Brian Daly's old radio dramas. Um, yeah, just uh, I'm a filmmaker. I do a little bit of everything. You know, I've directed a movie called Barely Lethal with Sam Jackson and Haley Steinfeld. I do music videos like Taylor Swift, Lana Del Rey. Uh, I had a book come out last year on the history of Dungeons and Dragons and working on another book right now. So a little bit of everything. I'm working on a cookbook. <laughs> Are you so, really? Yeah. Oh, no way. Wow. So I do a little bit of, of everything. Yeah. Nice. But uh, I'm, I'm glad Star Wars is back in a, in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's even just talk yes. a little briefly and then we can get into things. But um, I guess I'm just curious everybody's own, other than being fans, kind of relationship with it growing up and I guess by that I mean for me uh, Star Wars just kind of existed already when I was growing up I think Jedi was the first one I maybe saw in the theater but I was definitely what I would call the Ewok generation (laughs) I was very aware that older Star Wars fans thought Jedi was the worst one and ruined it and they hated the Ewok TV movies and as a little kid in my brain I couldn't even like tell the difference between the Ewok TV movies and Return of the Jedi, and then watch them again as an adult, and you're like, oh, yeah, they had way less money to do these. <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, how old, I, should I age you? How old are you? Are you uh, Were you I'm, born in the 70s or yes, 80s? Okay. So I was, I got to see it in the theater, but the way movies worked back then in the 70s is a movie could stay in the theater for over a year or two, 
uh, without getting pushed out like they are now. Like now there's like a high turnover rate. I mean, we, I think we even talked with us on another episode. I always liked as a kid when they would brag about how long they yeah. were in the theaters in the newspaper ads. And for some reason, I vividly remember that Crocodile Dundee had been out so long that they added a Christmas hat on his oh, head wow. in the poster. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I, I came from the Midwest and rural Midwest. So, like, I identified with Luke Skywalker because I was a farm kid. But, mm-hmm. like, all, we had to drive miles and miles and miles and miles to get to a theater before they had theaters in malls. Yeah. So we didn't even have a mall until he was in junior high, I think. But yeah, it's uh, we saw the drive-in. So I always think the drive-in is the best way to see Star Wars for the first time, because That's especially at night. Is that how you saw it, too? I, it was later in 77. Yeah. So I was like one and a little bit, one and a half. And I don't remember the movie, but I remember going with all my cousins and my mm. brothers and sisters. And there was this crazy energy after. Yeah. And I remember then maybe a few months later, I was in a parking lot one summer, and People would just show me the back of a Star Wars action figure card, and I could name all the aliens, but I couldn't say, like, human words. <laughs> uh, so, like, what is wrong with this kid? How does he know all this no, stuff? But I, I couldn't say normal words. I was, like, Aww. two. Um, yeah, so it was just, like, it was there from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I the drive-in was the best way to see it, because at night, you have the night sky, because if you're in the middle of nowhere, it's not, like, a bunch of lights competing with stars. Mm. So you have the night sky that kind of intersects with the actual you know the star destroyer with the stars in the universe so you as a kid you think it's really happening like the younger you are you think holy crap this is a real thing um but i you know i don't know i liked the ewok tv shows i liked everything so i was that crazy kid who loved the holiday special i still do (laughs) i wrote a i wrote a commentary piece on cnet about how i will always defend the star wars holiday special even with the commercials for like Control Top Pantyhose and Teamsters Union. I pitched a, a sequel holiday special a long time ago. I know. You and Favreau, you <laughs> I, need to make that happen. I wanted the the Emperor getting visited by three ghosts. Nice. Like, <laughs> Scrooge. <laughs> um, That's a good one. It was good. Yeah. It was really good. You should I want make that to... a radio play so we can all hear it. Make that one happen, day, Kyle. One day. <laughs> I mean, Favreau has said multiple times he's a fan of the Star Wars holiday special and he wants to do a new one. When I was at Lucasfilm, it was a taboo thing to talk about because George it's, didn't it's like it. It still kind of is. It still kind of is. I remember is. I showed it to, to George's kids. Yeah, I did too. Uh, up at the ranch once. Yeah, yeah. And I, they're well, like, I, how did we not know this existed? No, I started the tradition I, of having them air. We would get a secret room, a conference room, and we watch a crappy DVD version of it that we got like Comic-Con yeah. with the commercials. And I was the only one that would stay for the whole thing. Like People would try, but they would they couldn't handle the like the, how long things You have were. to see it to experience it and it's <laughs> it's the anniversary in like another few days i know um uh november 17th i'm working on something related to the holiday special oh. hopefully i'll fill you guys in i always thought john waters should do one soon. i'd watch that i mean come on <laughs> john waters star i'd watch or any even just star a tv wars thing special john like a waters variety did. thing right it's so distinctly it. 70s though and it's so distinctly they awful. don't have variety shows anymore like donny osmond and mindrell sisters and dolly parton and they no. all had all yeah. of the all of them had that Donnie yeah the Donnie Osmond show I used to watch religiously so <laughs> they're called the Oscars now yeah I know <laughs> we're so jaded anyway well, so but you guys like and you said you liked everything but I guess yeah. kind of pivoting back to this um, like for me there was no like all three Star Wars movies basically existed at once mm-hmm. for me growing up but I can only imagine what it was like after the first Star Wars came out and then hearing there was going to be a sequel yeah. like do you even do you remember kind of what 
you thought a sequel would be, what you wanted to see I'm in a sequel. I remember if what we knew as kids back then what a sequel was because Star Trek. I became aware maybe in the build up them. to Return of the Jedi. Yeah. I remember my parents came home from a movie one night and like, we saw a, a, a trailer for the new Star Wars movie and they were trying to describe it to me and in my head I was imagining <laughs> it. And I went to a toy shop at the mall in New Jersey and this guy there, ill informed shopkeeper, he showed me this picture of a Gamorrean guard. He's like, that's Jabba the Hutt. No. And, I was like, and then when I saw the movie, I was like, that's not Jabba. That's not Jabba. I was like so thrown. I was yeah. like, that guy told me that was Jabba. And yeah. I saw this picture in my head for like months that right. that was going to be this gangster. I mean. It was really weird. So we imagined yeah. like what the movie could be. Right. Um, and I know people malign Return of the Jedi, which is sad. I think it's one of the boldest independent movies ever made. <laughs> wow. It is. The guy took the greatest villain of all time and he said you know what i'm not going to do a layup i'm going to humanize him i'm going to create an even scarier villain which he achieved yeah and then he did this whole story about luke rejecting his elders embracing love none of this stuff was easy terrain for a sequel empire strikes back is a crazy sequel Mm -hmm. you know that's why i think people have issues with force awakens that's why george has issues with force awakens which jj has openly admitted is it's a heavy retread he just said yesterday something like we're going to go be, be bold and, and not play it safe. Yeah. Um, George committed to bold sequels, and he put all his own money into it. That was a $35 million investment out of his pocket that yep. would make or break him. That's pretty crazy stuff. What filmmakers putting $35 million, you know, in our time, that's, what is that, like 150 yeah. of yeah. their own money yeah. into a sequel, and he's like, I'm going to break the mold and not do mm-hmm. what's expected. Although in my that's defense, pretty crazy. I don't have $35 million <laughs> yeah. to put yeah. in my movie. He, he did I, the same with Empire also. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, you know, if it was going to fail, I think he said it was going to take him all the way until now just to cut even because he was going to owe like over $20 million yeah. back in the late 70s, $20 million. Well, Steve, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Lucas prepping for the sequel? Because I, I think it's interesting that yeah. he, even before the movie came out, what, before he knew it was a hit or not, he was like, well, I should start thinking about what a sequel might be. And didn't he yeah. have two, like, he had his, if it's a bomb, I'm going to do a Splinter little budget. Splinter in the mind's eye. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's, yeah, so yeah, I'll get into that really quick. I guess, you know, we all know Star Wars wasn't just a hit, it was like a phenomenon. You couldn't escape it. Uh, that Christmas, I became aware of, I saw Star Wars in the theaters, but I got all the toys, and I was, that's how I... Out of I, curiosity, what was your first toy? It was the Landspeeder, okay. and wow. I was so bummed that's because... That's a crazy item. Yeah, but... On the cover of it had all the had I think Hammerhead and all these all these. It comes with nobody. It came with nobody. So for like months, I just had a land speeder with no action figures. And then GI Joe was piloting it until Mm -hmm. you got figures. Yeah, I didn't have (laughs) GI Joe at the time, so I had just all I had was a land speeder. So I know I was so bummed. But uh, yes, as Kyle would say about Splinter the Mind's Eye in '75 during the production of Star Wars. George Lucas and 20th Century Fox had little confidence in the film, and they were kind of getting worried. So George Lucas decided to have a novelization written, and he wanted it to be out six months before the film came out, which would never happen today because of spoilers. But um, So he got Alan Dean Foster, who was a sci-fi writer. Uh, I believe George Lucas was a fan, or someone working on Star Wars was a fan of one of his books called Ice Rigger. And Alan Dean Foster came, had a meeting with George Lucas. Uh, he showed him like the Death Star and all kinds of concept art. And George Lucas wanted him to write not only the novelization, but 
He wanted him to write a book that can be filmed on a low budget, you know, a second novel that could be used as a basis for a low budget sequel, just in case if Star Wars was not successful. And uh, they were smart. They held on to most of the props, costumes and models from Star Wars so they can reuse it for an inexpensive sequel. And it was also it's also rumored that it was going to be three three books altogether. He was going to write two sequel books, Splinter of Mind's Eye and another book, which, of course, never happened. But um, but also George Lucas could not. Uh, I'm sorry. Alan Dean Foster could not use the characters of Han Solo and Chewbacca in Splinter of Mind's Eye because Han Solo was kind of on like a movie to movie basis. You know, he wasn't sure if he was going to return back for Empire or even return back for Return of the Jedi. Well, yeah, hmm. that, I mean, we all know that Harrison <laughs> wanted to be killed off. Like killed off. That's, not why was put, that's why he was putting carbonate. Yeah, yeah, they wanted to kill him. He wanted to be. That's killed one of the off. reasons, like the script changed. And yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So as you guys were saying, exactly that. And um, so, so Foster, so Alan Dean Foster wrote the novelization, which was a hit. And he he wrote the the low budget sequel, Splinter the Mind's Eye, and. After Empire came out and was a hit, um, Splinter to Mind's Eye pretty much came out as a, uh, what is it? It's Has the, anyone read the, that? The yeah. first yeah. expanded universe novel it later became. It has became. a Kyber crystal, yep. which was like a, it was supposed to be something that amplifies the force. It was on this foggy <clears throat> planet. Was it Mimban? think so. Minban ultimately ended up in Solo. That's where they're having that battle where Han meets Beckett and realizes they're trying to pull a ship. Um, it was like a much smaller cast. It was basically Vader, Luke, and Leia. I haven't read it in years. But at the same time, also Brian Daly put out his Han Solo trilogy, mm-hmm. and those were amazing. One of those has, does Han Solo own a movie theater in the beginning of one of those books? I remember one Han Solo <laughs> book, he has a movie theater, it it's really movie? cool. I don't know. It was like, um, he's shown. There's uh, Han Solo at Star's End, there's the the Legacy one, there's, um, they're all they're all really good. I'm trying to think which one has that. There's one where it's in this weird space dome, <laughs> and there's like zero gravity. It's only in the <laughs> very, I believe it's in the opening of a book, and he ends up showing, he ends, the people are, God, I'm, I'm, this is going back a million oh, I years think he ago. He does something I should... <laughs> where he projects stuff. Yes, at his the, under the Falcon or something. It's something he has like his like pop up theater. Yeah, that's <laughs> what it was. <laughs> it's like yeah, it's like a caravan thing. Yeah. I haven't read it in a long time. I've always I think been you're fascinated right. he, by people that. People come to yeah. towards his ship. Yeah, you're yeah. right. There is it, something it like that. Like, it shows like a different movie at one point, and, they, and then everyone goes crazy. And yeah, that's uh, I read that as a kid, and it always stuck with me. I've always been obsessed with that. With that, I wish that was in Solo. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. So what ended up happening was um, George Lucas was really burnt from Star Wars, and he didn't want to tackle writing the script. And he was also working on at the time more American Graffiti. And as we said, he he was sinking everything into this Empire sequel. So he just wanted someone else to tackle directing and writing duties. So um, so then we enter in Labor. Bracket, uh, Lee Bracket. Did you guys? Did you guys know anything about her? Or well, I know I didn't know much about her as an author, but she co-wrote with William Faulkner mm-hmm. the Big Sleep adaptation. Yep. She did Rio Bravo, the John Rio Wayne awesome. movie. Yeah, she did Altman's The Long Goodbye. Mm-hmm. So she had kind she of had this hard boil westerns mm-hmm. and like 
film noir. Which makes sense kinda. because yeah. Star Wars is a Western, so it I, I always called it that. It's a Western soap opera. It's interesting, yeah. though, his choice to work with her, people he was a fan of, and also with Kirshner, people mm-hmm. he was mm-hmm. his mentor and teacher, people he, he respected. Yeah, Kirshner like, literally was his professor like, think about at that. USC. Yeah. Think about yeah. those decisions now. Would you see like sequel trilogy going for the person that is the quiet choice that's like, this guy's going to do it right, he's going to activate these character moments, or are they just chasing the biggest name that had the biggest opening weekend? I mean, that's why George is like puts his ego aside and says, mm-hmm. who's going to bring out the things that I don't have the time yeah. and patience to do? Like Kirshner finding those little comedic moments or little things like with R2 stepping on his tippy toes to peek mm-hmm. into the yeah. thing. That's not <laughs> scripted, you know? Those are all things the director's finding, like, I love you, I know, like... yeah. Making those, finding those people that are about making it better and not about their ego. You know, I think with with Lee Brackett, although the script didn't work out, I know he said I didn't, I didn't like the script at all. But I'm giving her credit because mm-hmm. she recently passed away. Like he worked, wanted to work with people who he admired. You know? I, I think that's a credit to George too because he's such a good scout for talent. I mean, um, Filo- I think Dave Filoni is a great example of that. Who, who, you know, basically the best example, best example it's of like that. Like a living, with, living like Jedi holocron. He is, slash but he's legend. also such a chill dude, and he also yeah. loves what he does. And you can tell he loves what he does, and he's willing to go that extra mile to make it the best thing ever. And I think that's why Clone Wars was so groundbreaking. And he's working on Mandalorian, and you can tell. You I can love tell Rebels it. too. Yeah. I, mean, I think he's good at bridging the gap between making it relevant now and making it connect, but also being true to the foundations uh, and the truths of George's yeah. He's also a George's fan teachings, without you know? being a fanboy, if you know what I mean. Like yeah. he's, he's, he's definitely reverent. respects the material, yeah. but he doesn't put his own needs, desires, and Which demands. Which I find are the best people that have ever intersected with and had their hands on Star yeah. Wars, the people that intrinsically get it and want to make it better and yeah. get to the core of mm-hmm. what it is. And I think Lee did that. And I think uh, Kirshner did that. I think I feel like he picks people that come from all different backgrounds. I mean... Um, I think he went to Kasdan kind of out of desperation because he was exasperated with writing. Yeah. But yeah. Um, he, he was a fan of Kasdan and he a, was a tremendous writer. But it is interesting to see what Lee did before uh-huh. George and other people got and involved. Just thinking of and she was groundbreaking. His... I mean, just as a woman screenwriter yeah. myself, I'm yeah. breaking into this field now and I'm looking at the history of women who shaped Hollywood and she was definitely one of them. And it's so mind-boggling to me that a lot of women in the 50s through, or actually 40s through 70s were given these great, earned these great chances to show their stuff. And now we're like it's like Thunderdome yeah. <laughs> trying to battle and try to like have a brand and have a social media following and have a fan group that can attest that we're worthy screenwriters as females. It's just a lot harder for female directors and screenwriters now, I think, than it was then where you had more of a collaboration. And I also in sci-fi, I feel like there's a lot more women back then that were working in that industry. But a credit to George for not making it all a boys club. Well, and it's also interesting, especially now that I feel people remember, because Kasdan mm-hmm. went on to have a flashy career of his own and worked on Raiders and stuff. People kind of remember his involvement and not bracket, but it's like she was the veteran Yeah, yeah. on this. Like I see Steve has the note here. I was going to bring it up. Uh, yeah. Clearly John Carpenter, a big Western fan, is Self named a character in Halloween, yeah. After mm-hmm. Bracket, Sheriff Bracket, and um, also like nineteen through the forties through the seventies, she wrote an insane amount of short stories and novels. Yeah, and I'm just gonna say, 
Here's a couple of titles just to kind of give you. Yeah, she was regarded as the queen of the space opera. So she was writing novels like and short stories like Martian Quest, The Beast Jewel of Mars, oh, yeah. The Dragon Queen of Venus, Eric <laughs> John Stark, Outlaw of Mars. Where are those movies? Yeah. <laughs> and The Purple Priestess. Now it just be called John Stark. I know. And yeah. Flop. Stark. Yeah. Stark. <laughs> so that was the type of sci-fi she was. I always thought she was like the sci-fi Patricia Highsmith. Like she was like the she was like the go-to person for that. Yeah. And she, you know, if, it's, I'm glad you mentioned her books. I was going to bring that up, that people that are interested in Star Wars, especially her writing, they should check out her books because they're amazing. Yeah. And I am pretty shocked that hardly, I don't think any of them have been adapted for film. I um, think I saw somewhere when I was looking up about her, her as an author that she was the first woman nominated for a Hugo Award. Probably. I wouldn't oh. doubt it. Well... Well, I guess Mary Shelley would be way after that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're probably right. I, I haven't looked at Hugo history in a while, but yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I don't remember when the Hugo started, but I'm sure it was They're doing that retrospective time. Hugos now. Yeah. Uh, so they go back in time to- So Mary Shelley will get her Hugo. Older years, <laughs> and they'll say, they're like redoing 1930s. Like, oh, who's going to oh, win cool. in 1930? Oh, that's awesome. Because mm-hmm. we our book was amazingly nominated this year for Hugo, so I, I started to deep dive into oh, Hugos, congrats. and I was like, what what an amazing <laughs> history this thing has had. But like then I saw this, this like legacy award. So they're like going back and that's reawakening good. people to all this great old sci-fi by having an award show for a bygone year, which is cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So well, maybe Lee's going to win some more, Hugo. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> but yeah, hopefully people that listen to yeah. your podcast will check out our books because they're really fun reads. I mean, yeah. when I started at Lucasfilm, I was the nerd that was like, okay, I'm going to read everything about everyone who's ever been part of Star Wars and their history and what they've done before Star Wars. And it was fascinating, especially the older Star Wars stuff, to see what people had done before. Like... Half of ILM all worked for uh, Roger Corman, you know, like, yeah, you ha- and they have great Corman stories. Like, if yeah. you can get Dennis Muran talking, ask him about Corman, you know, like, there's just such a legacy at Lucasfilm in general for a lot of old school ways of writing and filmmaking and directing and producing that you forget sometimes because Star Wars is still very prevalent now. You forget that it was groundbreaking at the time as well. Yeah. Well, and I think uh, something. I don't know if dispel is the right word, but make sure the audience is aware of, because it does get reported that it's like she turned in her script, Lucas didn't like it, Kazin rewrote it. Well, she probably would have rewritten it, but she died yeah. mere months yeah. after turning it in. And, and George as a did writer, those rewrites first drafts too. are never good. Mm-hmm. Like no, especially no. not to well, probably not to Star Wars when George is exploring every possible. And as well, I mean, idea. let's yeah. segue into just going through the script. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, the script is basically. Empire. Like, there's a reason she still gets credit for it. It's basically the movie we all saw, minus a big a lot of good stuff. twist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like the building blocks are, are all there, and yeah. some of them the scenes and the trajectory of the narrative. Yeah. yeah. Um, and just to say really quick, um, she after she came on board, she came on board in like 1977. Her and George had a week long um, conference that would, and so. She, she pretty much wrote it in two months, so which is pretty, you know. She, she, um, I think the conference ended on December second and February twenty third, nineteen seventy eight. She handed in the the first draft. Wait, what month? Uh, February twenty third, nineteen seventy eight. Oh, so, she died in March of nineteen seventy eight. She died. So, and she that's died, dedication. Yeah, she died wow. March eighteenth, nineteen seventy eight. Did she know she was ill? From I cancer. can't remember the history of that. I think she died of cancer. So she died I guess, from cancer. So she knew it wasn't like a sudden. 
thing. Yeah. And so George Lucas, as he said, uh, Kyle said, uh, he was forced to write the next few drafts. And he wrote the first one while he was on vacation in Mexico. and On a yellow pad. Yeah. So we'll, <laughs> I, I have some notes of the second draft we'll, we'll talk about <laughs> we as talk we about go that. through this. Yeah. 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 But so. just, I mean, right off the bat, I'll just read the, the very opening of this script. Dated, yeah, February 17th, 1978, is fade-in exterior plane of ice planet day. A sweeping dramatic shot of Luke Skywalker mounted on a white snow lizard racing across a white snowy landscape. Luke's scarlet cloak flies in the wind. Curving plumes of snow rise from beneath the speeding paws of the lizard. All about in the distance, snow wraiths blow on the wind across a cruel and beautiful landscape in a light of a strange sun. So, minus, I guess... Empire literally begins with uh, the like robot drone crashing. Am I remembering that correct? They, they launched yes. the probes. Yeah, probe right. droid. But it's still basically the idea we're starting on an awesome yeah. ice planet. Lizards yeah. a Tauntaun. Luke and Han are, yeah, Snow Lizard turns into Tauntaun. They're on a patrol. <laughs> um, Luke's like, I see something. I want to go explore it. Han's like, okay, I'm going back to the base. Uh, Luke gets attacked by some sort of mysterious snow monster. Um and this planet had like an ice castle. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think. like their base. Yeah. Is it was like a, it there. wasn't like carved out into the snow. And um, <laughs> what else? It was. I think it was it originally even Luke and Han, the two guys. Yeah. Yeah. They're it, was the always guys. The, it was always both of them. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, Han gets back to the base. There's like a war room going on. We kind of have. It's funny, the characters have names. We have a Commander Willard, who I get is basically the equivalent of just those random rebel leaders we'll see in the movies who get named something, but other than owning the toys, I feel like I would rarely pick (laughs) up on their names. Like General Dodonna. Yeah. I think he was at one point in this He is in it, but he says like one thing. But he was at the end of... A New Hope, so it's nice to see that they were trying for that connective tissue. And Mm -hmm. I remember Dodonna, because I just wrote this article for CNET when Mark was trolling the fans, as usual, on Twitter, saying, is it pronounced Leah or Leia? And the fans were all like, oh, it's always been Leia. And I'm like, "Uh -uh -uh." if you go back to that general, he pronounces it uh, Leah instead of Leia. So basically the gist of that is anyone close to Leia says Leia, and anyone that works with her but isn't close to her says Leela. Or if it's Tarkin, just being a jerk, yeah, he'll yeah. mispronounce her, her, her name. But that's – I don't remember all those general guys. I think it was pounded into me when I had to remember style guide stuff. But yeah. It's like all the generals and the dudes that are running the, the war The guy room, that ends up in is General, general uh, Riken. Did they all have – Riken. Did they all have action figures? Um. After the fact, a modern Hasbro line does. They oh, never okay. gave an action figure to. They never named any Imperials. Like, yeah. It wasn't like no Admiral Oz or anybody. Imperial and Frank. They never named the commanders. Right. Like, um, what's his name from Friend uh, from uh, Cheers? Oh, Cliffy. Cliffy. Yeah, Cliffy. he had a character. He yeah. got an action figure with a name. But yeah, at that point, it was just like old dude. Yeah, yeah. I always yeah. like to think that's a Cliffy prequel. Cliffy like he prequel. he retired and went to the postal service and never <laughs> talked about the Empire ever again. <laughs> um. <laughs> But then let's uh, read this scene here yeah. between okay. Han and Leia. Because, again, what's interesting about the script is how similar it is, but it also has kind of what would have been very major changes to yeah. the franchise. Yeah. Uh, and as we'll see in this one. But you do know uh, that happens with all scripts. Yeah, so yeah. Even the scripts that George did write for prequels, in fact, are drastically different. Drastically different. Yeah. Oh. I mean, you, should be doing, you, you should be doing 20, 30 drafts of your script up until the minute you're shooting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, if you go and back to his. while you're shooting. If you go back to his early. Every I'm day. obsessed with his early drafts of Star Wars. It's oh. wild how yeah. much they change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's, phenom- it's pretty um, 
remarkable how much of that stuff ends up in later films too and in the prequels Aqualay so. becoming like Naboo yeah. and then the trade stuff being mentioned <laughs> Han being a lizard person a lot of stuff gets in the Clone Wars and Rebels and Solo and Rogue yeah a lot of that stuff shows up it's because yeah. I was remember when I watched a lot of There's the movies there's still Ralph and, McQuarrie designs yeah. that were abandoned that are finally showing up in The Mandalorian yeah 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 last night you know it's crazy yeah <laughs> so maybe stuff we're reading now will end up in the Mandalorian yeah, so for people to know once this episode finally airs but uh, Disney Plus just dropped oh yeah last yeah. night we're so. all very tired yeah <laughs> although <laughs> you guys all tired. stayed up watching Mandalorian my girlfriend and I watched um, the computer wore tennis shoes oh, oh. see the I Imagineering watched... one is great too and it's the great to see there's a lot of early great. female Imagineers yeah. too which you know yeah. don't get the credit they deserve yeah no there's yeah. some great documentaries on there and I'm hoping yeah. they'll do more behind the scenes Star Wars stuff on Disney Plus and not just the regular stuff that they're doing because there's so much to to glean from Star Wars history that they could be doing originally. Especially they before be this, this generation passes away. Oh, yeah. Guys that are all this. instrumental yeah. making Yeah, I know. Yeah. They need to hurry up and interview those people before they become Jedi ghosts. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, which we get a lot more of in this script, too. Yes, but, all right, yes. So this scene, uh, exterior docking bay day. Leia is leading Han into a quiet area of the hangar. Han has recovered his good humor and is bending over Leia with a smile. Oh, because like, he came in late, too. He was like summoned to the war room, yeah. and he stopped to check in on the Falcon and Chewie, and then he's showing up late, and Leia's like, I'm going to go talk to you privately, and this is what this scene is. Uh, but her face is small and serious and intent. Okay, so I'm gonna. I just need to do a precursor here. I am not Carrie Fisher, and I'm not an actor. I'm a writer. So if I say it wrong, I don't want to hear podcast comments later. Okay. Um, so you saw no signs of any inhabitants, hostile or otherwise. Leia, Where, where's Luke? He'll be along. <laughs> he had to go look at something pretty on the other side of the ridge. Leia. I've been meaning to... She holds up her hand imperiously, every inch a princess. Han, listen to me. We've been in touch with your stepfather. He's not my stepfather. Oh, go on. Okay. Well, whatever he is, he was fond of you once. All of the people in the galaxy, you're the only one he might listen to. No. And anyway, he... He's agreed to talk to you. He has? Well, that's fine. I don't want to talk to him. I don't know why you quarreled with him and ran away. I don't care. All that matters is that Oven. Oh God. Oven Markerel. 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 Oven Miracle. Miracle. Miracle is the <laughs> is the most powerful man in the galaxy next to the Emperor himself and Darth Vader. Though his transport guild he controls. He controls all the pilots and navigators in commercial space, and wars aren't won with weapons. I know that. I also know that Oven Miracle goes with the winning side. That's the Empire. He doesn't exactly love it, but that's where the power is. Han and Leia have stopped now in an unfinished side corridor away from the noise and activity of the docking area. The corridor stretches away into dimness beyond where the light strip ends. Leia's looking up at Han, and neither of them see what might be vague, shadowy motion, white on white, at the dim or the far dim end of the corridor. If the Empire crushes the Rebellion and comes to full power, how long does Oven Mackerel think his precious guild will last? Han, we must have him on our side. You must try to win him for us. Oh, he puts his hand gently on either (laughs) side of Leia's face, turning her lips towards his. He bends over. Leia, for you, I'd even try that. You would? For me? She smiles. Now his arms go around her. He pulls her closer to him, and for a moment it seems like she is melting in his arms, ready for a kiss. In the background, unnoticed, the dim white stri- or white shapes 
move and watch. At the very last minute, Leia slaps Han's face with a resounding crack. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Uh, and he starts back, letting her go, thoroughly star- startled, coldly angry, she faces him. Captain Solo, a great war is raging. What would you do for me, or I for you, are matters of no consequence. The mission is vital. The success or failure of the Rebel Alliance may depend on it. As an officer of that alliance, will you or will you not accept the mission? I'll think about it, your highness. Um, yeah, so it's just interesting. The whole idea. By the way, of, I did not slap Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's um, the whole idea of this Oven character who's yeah. this powerful guy who, I mean, what I wonder where that would have gone if this had been an idea Lucas had liked that Han, Han Solo's giving Han a stepdad. reason to step around, step, stay around, and to step up uh, his game. You know, we all know he showed his moral side, and I'm sure he's had second thoughts about exposing his soft underbelly to everybody yeah. <laughs> so now he's, he's got a posture and be tough and have things to do and she needs him and he's the only one that can get to him so you can see the the device in this which is cool um you see the beginnings of that almost screwball comedy that uh kasdan really enhances mm-hmm. like the, it happened one night back mm-hmm. and forth where they're at each other's throat Friday but they kinda. but they but they love each other yeah that's what really makes this movie Wonderful. That's what makes good Star Wars. That's, I think it's when they embrace all genres. Like it's Western, it's samurai, it's drama, it's serial, it's like space opera, and it's also like screwball comedy. Like it's goofy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like you can see the beginnings of like the goofiness. You know, they almost kiss like a kiss in Star Wars is like big. It's like explicit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then kind of one of the other big deviations. So, so we go back to Luke in the like Wampa cave. They're mm-hmm. not called. Wampas in this. They're more kind of like ice monsters. Snow monster or whatever. Uh, and there's like a bunch of them and Luke uses the force to get away but then like as this scene kind of implied the ice monsters are like sneaking into the base and then they attack the base while mm-hmm. um, the Empire is basically attacking simultaneously. It's Kirshner cut this stuff pretty early because there is there's yeah. footage that exists. It's on of the box set, actually. Crappy wampas, and yeah. they're pretty crappy. You're yeah, like, wow, that <laughs> sometimes is a it's horrible just an effect. arm. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just and an sometimes arm it's just the like scene. this big shuffle of yeah. like a guy on like in a crummy costume. It's really it's like Henson trying real hard type stuff. I mean, yeah. it, it, the thing that I love about this script too is the idea of the stepfather because mm-hmm. that puts in perspective what was Han like. He didn't like his stepfather when he was a teenager. But there's interesting elements here, too. There's the relationship. Also, um, Han has this falling out with like a, ma- a male mentor, and it's yeah. very similar to Indiana Jones, where right. he has this falling out with Ravenwood, mm-hmm. and it's probably over his daughter, and they're not saying that in here, but it's interesting that George is kind of exploring at the same time in his life. Like, there's an older guy I look up to who's the key to yeah. things, and... I don't really connect with him anymore. I want to talk to him. Yeah. It's just interesting that both those things are being explored here and both those things ultimately Kasdan kept in one and wrote out of the other. Yeah. You know? Well, it's also interesting, again, I feel like this is well known, but I suppose for maybe younger people who don't know, uh, that even in this uh, pre-Empire version, they were already writing in an excuse for Mark Hamill's basically new face. Well, yeah, the car Because he got in a horrible car accident yeah. before. It was before Star Wars even came out. It was before out, the right? holiday special. So the holiday special was filmed. A little holiday special yeah. trivia. <laughs> um, it was filmed pretty close to that car accident where he had had surgery. And there's that's why there's so much makeup on his face in the holiday special. It's not just because it's the 70s, but mm-hmm. because they're trying to hire, uh, hide a lot of scarring and stuff. And he was such a trooper to do, I mean, no pun intended, but he was a really good 
um, sport, doing all that stuff so close to his recovery time. I mean, he must have been still recovering from a really painful surgeries and stuff like that to do the holiday special of all mm-hmm. things. And then, of course, later, Empire. But, yeah, it was uh, – that was, I'm sure, written in for that. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I think it's interesting that it's still the same – they use the yeah. same bit that yeah. it's a yeah. snow creature smashes his face. I mean, and... that's a good way to explain a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and stick him in his in his undies and put him yeah. in, a, in a back to tank. The freezer and... burn scars are no laughing joke. Yeah. <laughs> what I like about when the snowmen attack the base, there's this one scene. It's kind of like a horror movie. Running for his life, a man comes out of the generator room. As he runs, an overhead pipe bursts suddenly, drenching the man with water, which instantly freezes encasing him in ice. The water itself freezes into a gigantic icicle. Oh, kind yeah, of, this is a real massacre. A number yeah. of bodies are sprawled like, around like dolls it? hurled and broken what by giant children. What was the space or the um, horror film? Was it called Them or It? I always get them mixed up. Is it Them? Them. The one the, the where it's the, in the ice, the Antarctic. Oh, uh, that's... Um... Thing. Thing. That's amazing. Thing. <laughs> that's what it reminds me a little bit of. Yeah. Is you don't know what's going to attack and you have to like... Really, like, you know, the original out. Star Wars they, like, though had like in and out of the walls, singed bodies and piles yeah. of of Jawas burning yeah. and, and they, decap- yeah, they... like, amputations. Like Star Wars wasn't always soft. No, you know what I mean? it was gritty. Yeah. It was dangerous and it was gory. I mean, just going back a little bit to the Ewoks, they ate humans. People forget that. They think they're yeah, these cute true. little teddy bears. They had Han well, people Solo. People do forget that. There's yeah. people that have written novels recently where they use the Ewoks as. Um, like, uh, what's that called? Where you're, you need a pet companion to help you deal with your stress? Oh, a support pet. Yeah, they use Ewoks Anxiety as support pet. pets. No, right? they eat humans. This is written in canon. There's they, people that don't oh, pay attention. They eat hum- I mean, I would bring this up constantly. There's actually like... Yeah, they're partnering, e- they're partnering amputee guys from like the Battle of Endor with, yeah. with Ewoks I mean, who that's eat a humans. great horror film premise <laughs> because they're just going to eat yeah. these guys yeah. and they can't run away. I mean, that's a great idea for a movie right there. But yeah, they eat people. So you forget sometimes when you're watching it as a kid or a fan, or even as a, later on as an adult, we project our stuff onto it. So reading these old scripts is great because you can see how gory it could have been. And empires are pretty dark compared to all the other Star yeah, Wars psychologically films. psychologically dark. It yeah. Goes, it commits. It commits. Yeah. And it could have been a lot gorier. <laughs> yeah. in, the, in the fourth and fifth draft, it, it gets shorter and it becomes more comedic with the snowman chasing R2 and stuff like that. Oh. And Aww. C-3PO kind of locks them in a room and puts yeah. the sticker on it. I believe so, yeah. <laughs> kind of. And then he takes, he takes the sticker off uh, when the stormtroopers invade the base, so hoping they'll open that door and get mauled, which I think is another deleted scene. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. All, in that, if you have that box set you can watch those scenes I, I, I years ago in Starlog I saw the yeah. the still of the deleted oh, wow. Wampa attack and for years I was like oh my god what is this and then I finally saw it on the, Starlog the ruins. Blu-ray and I was yeah. like oh Starlog ruined so many movies for me because I'd watch it and I, all these behind the scenes things that never ended up in any of the movies I'm like oh yeah. how did that why isn't that in there and, and Fangoria because they'd show you yeah. like gruesome scenes that were like never made it shadowed <laughs> few things are as good as seeing Jean-Claude Van Damme in his uh, peach praying mantis suit he was the original oh, predator yeah, yeah. that's oh, right that's with right. the big dongly head on running top. through the that's forest right. as the predator oh, oh where's God. that movie <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, well one thing that's like again it's all very similar <laughs> but is definitely different from where Lucas decided to go with it is that this one feels very much like it's taking place just kind of right after the first one ended it's very much that Luke is still a kid he seems and everyone especially Han yeah. seems unsure that he's ever going to master 
uh, the Force, because Han accepts the mission to go talk to his stepfather while the Empire is attacking and so forth. And Luke wants to go along, and Han says to him, "Is like, no, I can't take anyone, Luke. Just me and Chewbacca. Chewie's been there before. And anyway, Wookiees don't get involved much with politics. See, <laughs> Obi Marikel knows he's a prime target for assassination or kidnapping. Kidnapping. I'm one of the few people in the galaxy who knows where to find him." Um, there's kind of just an idea. I'm trying to remember if I have it in this scene that we're going to read. I love that you're like, Wookiees aren't in politics. Yeah, well, Wookiees don't care the about politics. They're not in the Senate, right? Like, when you look at the whole prequels, do you ever see a Wookiee in the Senate? I don't, know, I don't must think there be, is. Though. They must have some representation. I don't think there is, because Revenge of the Sith is the Wookiee War, so why would they... Well, the, the, the uh, Republic is helping the Wookiees, so they must have been a planet that's... Right, but did the Wookiees ever say, hey, we need help? I, they don't seem like a race of people that would say we need help from you. I feel like they would just take care and of themselves. And also Chewbacca is literally standing there in Revenge of the Sith, and he <laughs> sees like this hollow <laughs> battle map with Yoda. And they're like, hmm, hmm. They're laying out all the plans <laughs> of the Battle of Kashyyyk. <laughs> and then you cut to Solo yeah. like, 10 years later, and he's swatting at holograms like he thinks they're like red <laughs> lasers and he's a cat. <laughs> you're like, I know. What was do you guys that? like pay attention to what happens in your canon and your other movies? Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh, I also forgot in this, there's almost a little bit of Superman uh, action in here, is yeah. that Luke is futzing with his lightsaber, which if people remember is his father's lightsaber, mm-hmm. um, and like a crystal falls yeah. out of it. Yeah. And then R2 is able to read the crystal, and it is the coordinates for, I don't think they ever give it a name, but Dagobah. Yeah. That's where we begin mm-hmm. this storyline. Um, but... Uh, Let's read this next scene. Sure. Uh, this I just this kind of is highlighting part of the idea that this one is very much about Luke is still like a kid, and it's kind of like people don't respect him. He's the Spider Man of Star Wars. Yeah, <laughs> the Peter Parker of Star Wars. <laughs> um, so I'll start reading at the top here. Uh, he, meaning Luke, draws his lightsaber and activates activates it. The blade sheds a strange radiance. Everybody is pulling blasters. The white shapes, these are the uh, wampas, move very swiftly, elusive targets. The ship next to the falcon in the bay goes over with a crash. The falcon itself begins to shake. Chewie runs forward, firing at a white shape by the stern. A flying piece of wreckage knocks the blaster from his hand. Roaring, he grapples with the beast. More wreckage. Uh, The Second workman is killed. Han runs towards Chewie and Chewie and the Beast. Chewie is huge himself, but he looks child-sized by comparison with the adversary. He is also becoming covered with frost when the snow creature touches him. Um, let's skip down here to just uh, Leia screams. Luke. She runs forward toward him, firing, but misses as she is knocked down by a piece of debris hurled by the third creature. Han perforce. Is that the right word? Han perforce turns aside to help Luke. Uh, the snow creature turns to attack him, and he fires at the creature as the creature vanishes back into the darkness. Whether hit or not, Han hauls himself half or ha- hauls the half-stunned Luke to his knees, snarling. The force ain't with you today, kid. Get out of this. He turns back towards Chewie. Leia, unheard, is now firing coolly from a kneeling position. Over here, Luke. I'll cover you. But Luke, crushed and humiliated, stays where he is, the shining saber lying on the ice before him, beside him. Uh, Han runs in and gets off a close shot with the, with the dim white body of the snow creature. There's a sound like an avalanche of boulders. Both Chewie and Han go flying. When they look up, the creature has vanished and everything around them is quiet. Uh, though there are still sounds of turmoil in the distance. I don't believe those things. 
One of them shook the falcon. And and they're like phantoms. He scrambles up and goes to Chewie, <laughs> who is picking himself up, growling, wincing, and saying bad things in Wookiee. Luke picks up the saber and get, gets unsteadily to his feet. Leia comes to him. Luke, are you hurt? Luke is staring at the saber and does not look at her. No, I'm fine. Luke turns and starts away. Leia looks worried. Han has been brushing the frost from Chewie's <laughs> fur. A little moth-eaten, but I guess you'll do. Get the lights on and we'll check for damage. Hey, Luke. Where you going? Wait a minute. Chewie climbs into the Falcon. Han catches up with Luke. Listen, I'm sorry. I, I was so rough. I didn't mean it. It's just that, Luke, those lightsabers were ceremonial weapons, even for the Jedi Knights. They're deadly. Sure they are. But only at close quarters, hand to hand, and that snow creature was just too fast for you. Luke hasn't recovered yet, Han. He's still weak. You don't have to fend me, Leia. He's right. I almost got all three of you killed. The point is, you're going to get yourself killed. I know old Ben got you all excited about the Knights and the Force and all that stuff. But you've got to stop daydreaming, kid. You're not a Jedi Knight, and you never will be. Oof. oof harsh oof, words from Han oof, Solo. <laughs> never will be. Um, yeah, so this is when the story really gets going. Setting um, up some conflict. That's, yeah. that's some harsh words there, Han. <laughs> Uh, but the rebels now attack. There was like a whole scene of Darth Vader. We establish, I think they're calling it in this Tan Mund, they were saying was like mm. the capital of the empire. Um, we've seen where Vader's like torturing, interrogating like a weird alien who gives them the, uh, coordinates or whatever planet yeah. the rebels are hiding out on, uh, not called Hoth. And we'll get the funny thing is Hoth is a name used for a different place, which yep. we'll get yep. to <laughs> soon here. Um, but all this shit is going down, uh, and basically what ends up happening is uh, Luke is forced off. Like, he's supposed to go with Leia, um, and everybody gets separated, and it's just Luke and R2 are off in what was like Leia's spacer, they're calling it, mm-hmm. her space cruiser. And Leia and 3PO and Chewie and Han are all in the Falcon. Um, there's no AT-ATs in this attack. I was kind of sad about that. I know, but, bummer, right? Yeah. It is. Um, or AT-ATs, depending AT-ATs. on... <laughs> is, is, what There's is no the... big battle at the end, so that's one of the reasons why he put that there, since the ending was going to be such an emotional mm-hmm. battle, and he wanted to have something fulfilling. Another, like, I think Revenge of the Sith puts a big battle at the front end of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost like it ends with the third act of another movie. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. I think he was trying to do. He got the kind of that idea, with the way he awkwardly and uniquely structured this movie. Which is a good middle movie. Yeah, I never thought it. That's actually, that's like probably my third favorite Star Wars movie is Revenge of the Sith. And yeah, I never thought about mm-hmm. that, that it does mirror Empire in a weird way. Wow. Yeah. That's a trip. Yeah, I think that's like really underrated uh, Lucasfilm. Yeah. Like, I love that movie. I don't know. I still think Leia's a joke. Or not Leia, but Padme pisses me off. <laughs> oh, that one? You don't uh, die from a broken heart and leave your kids orphans. <laughs> well... Her own Carrie Fisher's own mother literally died of a broken heart the day after she died. Oh, way to make me feel really bad. <laughs> well, way to go. I, way to there go. There is a thing called Thanks like broken heart condition where you can just be crushed. Like her whole life was Anakin, you know. Well, I wouldn't say her whole life. She had a career in the Senate. She loved him. They were willing to risk everything. That's both true. Of them for, for love. I don't know. You're right. It is. It is a, a bit different. But he did choke her, mm-hmm. force choke her, and yeah, left her on the precipice of, of death. Know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I it's wanted more of a. Fa- I wanted more of a. I guess I love Leia so much for being so strong, but also vulnerable. Or I didn't see that in Padme. I felt like Padme maybe 
Anyway, that's a whole other podcast. Yes, <laughs> it is. I, 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 I just, whole I love that podcast, movie. It feels but like, I do, but I do like how it mirror, mirrors a lot. Mm-hmm. So the prequels do mirror uh, the originals a lot, and it's interesting when you like read Last the Jedi script. tries to mirror some of these things. Yeah, but, but and Last so when Jedi, you read the script, I think, forgets that, like that you have to end the movie with yeah. conflict. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that one ends where it's right. like, oh, your villain's been bested spiritually, emotionally, yeah. and physically by everyone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you've lost Starkiller Base and the fleet in yeah. 24 hours. <laughs> right. Where's the cliffhanger? <laughs> <laughs> it's like that's why it's a good point. draft one. That yeah, needed, yeah, like yeah. A draft, that's a good point. Needed a draft two. That's a good point. Uh, well, speaking of cliffhangers, yes. uh, we're going to pause here and come back at a part two, but to leave the audience <laughs> hanging in true cliffhanger fashion. So our two groups have split off in their separate ships. Uh, there's yes. kind of this weird moment where Vader is like psychically connecting with Luke and Luke passes out. So he's completely unconscious mm-hmm. and R2 doesn't know what to do. So he takes the coordinates from the crystal that was in the lightsaber, and they head off to whatever this Which planet is, cool. is. Yeah, yeah, we don't yeah. we don't know. It almost feels like the end of a. There was TV a medallion episode. thing too in one yeah. of the drafts, and Luke gets the coordinates for Dagobah from a medallion that Obi Wan had given him. Oh, oh yeah, like a talisman or something. Talisman, yeah, that's talisman, a, yes, yeah. something yeah. similar. Like so, they were exploring other ways of getting Luke mm-hmm. to Dagobah, other than the Force Spirit, obviously mm-hmm. before that came in. But what's great about these original movies is. They're lean, they're mythological, and they're streamlined, and there's like an, an efficiency mm-hmm. to the storytelling. And I feel like now there's like MacGuffin, you gotta find a compass to get to a thing to do with this, and you're like, Something has to be in code. Something has to be. You know what I mean? Like, no, totally. Yeah. I mean, and you like can just even go see... to the planet. Like, <laughs> Obi Wan's like, go to Dagobah. And Luke's yeah. like, here I am, going to Dagobah. You don't need a like, talisman. It's, it's mythic storytelling. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's what people need to get back to when they tell yeah. Star Wars stories. It's there's so there's overcomplication with these plot details. Well, and and this see... is like they're exploring it and they've simplified it and distilled it to what do you need? Mm-hmm. You need a, a vision of the force to yeah. tell your character to go to this place and they go there. Yeah, you don't need talisman GPS. Yeah. Like, I well, don't you think... see a lot of... You see yeah. from this draft to what we ended up seeing as yeah. Empire, a lot of this is stripped off because then the yeah. cliffhanger back in the Falcon is... Uh, I forgot, 3PO is frozen in a block of ice. Oh, yeah. Some, like, <laughs> comedy. And we right. just hear him like... Wah, 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 wah. Poor, poor 3PO. Um, and speaking of like medallions, like Leia has... Like, they can't hyper jump. Like the Star Destroyer is bearing down them and they oh, can't hyper jump because they need coordinates yeah. and she has this locket yeah. that has the coordinates in it but they established that you have to open it the right way because yeah. it's booby traps so if you open it the wrong way you'll blow <laughs> up I kind of like that because like if the bad guys the, you know the Empire gets their hands on it yeah. and they try to t- you don't want fun- Tarkin with that yeah, what was blow. in the locket though for her it was supposed to be the coordinates for their <laughs> rendezvous point that we never oh, get yeah. to in the movie but that's like, uh, right. but but that's that's where we'll leave it the cliffhanger okay. with them they end up making a hyper jump yeah. away to a place yeah. and, um, and Darth Vader's actually force choking Luke yeah that's why he passes <laughs> Out. Yeah, and then yeah. yeah, after Luke passes out, he's like, "Goodbye, Luke Skywalker." But he's force choking um, him. They're not in the same place. No, no, they have they yeah. have a psychic link, which kind of comes psychic back. Choke. Yes. Um, but so we'll, we'll leave it there. Um, psychic choke. There you go. <laughs> even though we'll be right back with you guys, it'll be a little time for the audience. Um, yeah. Where can people find you on the social medias? Oh, uh, I'm Bonnie Girl. So it's B O N N I E G R R L. Because uh, I run a site called girl.com with the same grl.com since 96. I don't think I've redesigned it since 96, <laughs> so don't go there. Um, yeah, so Bonnie Girl is, I'm on social, I'm on everything. So Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Ello, LinkedIn. TikTok. Uh, TikTok. 
Snapchat. Mm-hmm. I think I'm still on Periscope. I don't know. I'm on all the old stuff still. I still have a MySpace account. You'll find me. Just Google <laughs> my name. I also have an Amazon page so you can find my books and stuff. And I write for CNET full time so you can find me on there. But She's yeah, always got great Star Wars stories. I do. I write a lot of Star Wars stuff for CNET. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you, it's hard to now because everyone's a Star Wars fan that's a journalist. So you have to like really come up with a cool angle. Everyone's a Star Wars fan quotes. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's big business. Well, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Now we're Wink, wink, fan. nudge, yeah. nudge, force choke, force choke. I had all the figurines when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I used to whittle. <laughs> I used to whittle my own falcon. Yeah, I love the Star Wars thing. <laughs> and where can they find you? I am uh, also Ky- Ky- Kyle Girl. No, no you're not. <laughs> I'm, a, well, I'm Bonnie Girl too. Kyle underscore Newman <laughs> on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find me on Facebook fan page, and I have an author page too. Mm-hmm. Amazon, not as many books as the prolific Bonnie. Yeah, but Bonnie. you have you have a Dungeons and Dra- Dragons book that's going to be going. There's different ways buried, to find me. People will want to be buried with your book. <laughs> I you know, I, I'm, proud, I'm very proud of the book. So if you do like Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, if you know a nerd that likes Dungeons and Dragons, you like fantasy art or the history of role playing games, it's it's definitely worth checking out. You know, it was a special project. It's a really good holiday present, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so you can find me online. I always love talking, talking. You're Star on a Wars. lot of podcasts too. I feel like you're like the go to guy for a lot of Star Wars talking. I've done less. Oh. I've been disheartened. Oh. By Star Wars. <laughs> it broke my heart. Don't the past die from a broken years. heart. Oh, not, now I that I know that's possible. I'm back. Look, I'm sitting right here with okay, you guys. Good. We're yeah. talking Star Wars. I am, exactly. I am back and I'm energized. I think I needed that for the first time in my life. I had to take a little break from Star Wars, you know? Yeah. Because Star I, I Wars. Did, I also, I suffered Star from... Wars tried to break me, and I was like, you ain't breaking me. <laughs> I also had Star I'm Wars back. fatigue. And Star Wars, the good Star Wars is coming back. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you're re- reinvigorated. I had Star Wars fatigue for a while, too. Yeah, and I felt guilty about it. Like I, I, I thought it yeah, should I be support guilty. groups. No, I love it, and I'm allowed to talk about what works and what doesn't, and I'm not going to be like shouted off of things. Yeah, and, you know, you can talk about the form, the structure, the writing, the style in a healthy way, mm-hmm. and it's okay to not like a movie. Yeah, and I don't like the Last Jedi, and it's okay, and it's not for reasons <laughs> that are wow. monstrous or bad. It's just it doesn't work. It's not well written, and it's poorly executed and underbaked. So there's stuff I love in it. Mm-hmm. Awesome. You know what? And there's stuff. I'll revisit the movie. I have a giant pork like this big in my house. There's things I love about the movie. There's things I absolutely think are fundamentally detrimental to Star Wars. And I'm okay to talk about it. (laughs) And now they know where to find you. That's the beauty of movies, too, because I unfortunately wasn't a fan of it, but I haven't, I always see Star Wars movies multiple times in the theaters. That was the only one I saw once in the theater. And, but the beautiful thing about film is that maybe I hated Face Off the first time I saw it. Now I want, I love it. So maybe when I go and revisit it again. Maybe Rise of Skywalker will help me go back and look at it anyway. Maybe it'll add dimensions to it that it needs. That's what I'm hoping too, you know. And as you change as a fan, as you get older, you have kids or you look at movies differently as a fan in general. Like I didn't like the prequels and then I hung out with Kyle and now I love the prequels. (laughs) And, Oh, yeah. And I was there for the prequels. I was working mm-hmm. on them at Lucasfilm at the time. And I I revisited Attack of the Clones and I hated it for its canned romance stuff. But I freaking love the pod race. Or, I mean, not, I'm sorry, for Phantom Menace for that. And then the arena scene for Attack yeah. of the Clones. Dude, the so the exciting ha- parts mm-hmm. of those prequels I really liked. The so. second half of Attack of the Clones is really good. Once they go to, res- once they go to rescue yeah. like, Obi-Wan, that 
and, and then but the Django great... Fett sequence too is I like know. I think is uh, the outside rain sequence. Yeah, yeah that's he's a battling. Great I, that's like one of the best sequences yeah. I think in the entire. And then the Ocean asteroid belt where oh, they're dropping those charges. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's, that's, that's some got, cool stuff. But huh? also when you start <laughs> reading more history of sci-fi and and traditional books, you'll see some like Brave New World stuff going in there, mm-hmm. and you'll see like you'll see all these different things. But they're also mythic. They're mythic, mm-hmm. and it's he created the, new worlds. Yeah, and he simultaneously pushed new technology yes. and there's yes. no innovation with these new movies they're mm. just doing what's the technology how can we jam it out in time yeah. they're not pushing technological no. there's no Dennis Murins or anybody breaking new ground yeah. they're not trying to yeah. and there's they're not trying to showcase new planets we got yeah. we got not to we went back to this planet. It looks just like Tatooine, but it's not Tatooine. I think we Clone got Wars fake Hoth. Good job of that, though. Clone we Wars. got fake Yavin. Like you have Yavin. the best concept artists in the world. They come <laughs> back with S- these are the there's official a, names. But there's a there's this temple and there's all these yeah. vines and the rebels have a base in it. You're like Yavin. Yeah. You're like no. Yeah. And it's not the Tantv four. It's uh, yeah. the, you know. Well, I'm hoping like we'll get to see more with the new Disney Plus stuff. I think yes. Filoni did a such an excellent job with Clone Wars and Rebels and showing us new. New characters, but also new rebels. planets, new vehicles, yeah. new everything. And so I, I really like that. But yeah, I mean, we could obviously talk about this for days yeah. and days and days. <laughs> but it's it's one of those things that as a fan, I think everybody brings something different to it. I have a different perspective than Kyle because yeah. I'm coming healthy. to it as we like... We should have unique and ones and we should... shouldn't shout people out of the conversation. No, I agree. Because we don't get on the sheeple wagon, which is you have to say that, that Last Jedi is better than Empire Strikes Back. And it's mm-hmm. absolutely, positively... Factually, not a better film than The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> no, I mean, and I'm never going to sign up for that craziness. Yeah, but I mean, you've had to deal with this with people who absolutely hate the prequels, and you've always been pro But I understand why people did had issues with the prequels mm. on a filmic level. I understand. On a narrative level, I could look at them narratively and say, George is trying to do innovative stuff with the myth. Virgin birth and chosen mm-hmm. one mythology, and he's trying to do things whether or not it's executed as well as it could be in the films yeah. because he's pushing technological ground but you could read those novelizations you read the novelization of Revenge of the Sith and you're like that's one of the best Star Wars stories ever told mm-hmm. and you're into Anakin's psyche and you're seeing how this person is like a a breaking point you know a living breaking point in the galaxy um, yeah same thing with it's the cool. Phantom Menace novelization is yes. phenomenal. It really is. There is so much it's cut so out that should have been in the movie. Yeah. You know, and it's like I love the Phantom too. Menace. I've yeah. seen it a hundred plus times, more yeah. than that. And I think it's it gets a bad rap because it is chapter one. Mm-hmm. It's never gonna be as dark or as intense as Empire. You know, it's it's chapter one, and it's also, where it starts. And it, also it's it a cute kid and he's not supposed to be he's not the omen kid. Like you don't you don't start out with an evil fall kid. From, from he has to some fall from grace. grace. He's an innocent person that gets warped. Which would look, I would have probably done things differently as a filmmaker. I probably would have had the same actor in all three movies and had him be a little older. Yeah. You know, there's things I would have done differently for sure. But I can respect the the bold choices he was making. He's putting all his own money into mm-hmm. it, and he's trying new things every yeah. time. That's what Absolutely. was awesome about yeah. George. Yeah. And then, like reading <laughs> these scripts, it just reminds me when I was sequestered to read the Revenge of the Sith script. <laughs> yeah. The way they do it at Lucasfilm is you sign in one at a time and it, everything is very hush-hush. I mean, obviously, when I was reading that, it was the internet was a different place. Leaks were a different place. But you could not take the script out. You just had to read it. You couldn't take notes or anything. You just had to read it straight up and they give you a certain amount of time and then you're out of there and the next person comes in. And I read one of the early scripts of Revenge of the Sith and there's so much great stuff in there that didn't make it into the movie because... You know, George is trying to keep things clean and trying to like. And he's trying tell to focus it into focus Anakin's story. Tell yeah. Anakin's story. It doesn't need all this peripheral, but you know, there's so much more 
about Anakin and Obi-Wan's relationship in those early scripts that I really wish were in the movie because then that Mustafar battle is yeah. so much more poignant. Um, and then his fight with Leia is so much more poignant. And you get all these other things. But it's remarkable to read scripts like this on a podcast and then know what the finished product was and see all this stuff that just did never made it. But yeah, eventually there's, there's makes very, it to other there's things. There's production reasons. Yeah. There's practical reasons. There's casting reasons mm-hmm. with Han. And you know, money. All these things are the choices budget, made budget, budget. because of contracts and, yeah, yeah. just yeah. budgets. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Well, I'm going to stop it there. Cool. And we'll be back <laughs> with you guys for part two of Lee Brackett's Star Wars sequel. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Best Movies Never Made and Twitter at Never Made Film. Um, we are also on a podcast network called Electric Surge. You should check out some of our sister podcasts like The 430 Movie every Friday, in which a group of writers and producers curate fantasy theme weeks of classic movies. And Inglorious Trexperts, the only podcast for Star Trek fans with a life, available every Saturday wherever you listen to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just reading the copy, Oof. guys. Um, also, a very special thanks to Bill Ritter and everyone here at Electric Surge Network, including our producers Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman. So until next time, this is... Steven Scarlatta. And I'm Josh Miller saying we won't see you at the movies. This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.